Well, I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. 46 through 52 of Mark chapter 10. And when you get there, go ahead and stand with me if you're able to do so for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. French dip, BLT, hot pastrami, chicken salad, banh mi. I love me a good sandwich. And as my palate has matured over the years, I've come to understand how a good sandwich requires great bread. You've got to have the right slices to hold that thing together. The bread can't be too soggy, can't be too flimsy, it can't be stale, can't be toasted too long, its flavor profile can't be too overwhelming. It needs to be just right so that it can help to frame and bring out the main ingredients. Great bread helps us to appreciate a sandwich for what it is. And what we have in our passage at the end of Mark 10 is in many ways the perfect piece of bread to help us appreciate this section of Mark's gospel. For the last few chapters, we have been journeying with Jesus as he has made his way to Jerusalem. And we're almost there. When we return to Mark later this summer, we'll, we'll, we'll see Jesus enter the holy city of Israel. He'll initially be accompanied by a, a chorus of shouts and acclamation, but eventually he'll be crucified on a cross. And Jesus was trying, trying to prepare his disciples for this. He had taken the opportunity during this journey to correct their miscalculations about him and his ministry. And we encounter this beginning in chapter 8. If you turn there with me for a moment, and you glance over at verse 22 of chapter 8, you'll, you'll see that at the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry, he encountered a blind man. And he healed him. But surprisingly, this man's healing happened in stages. 
And Jesus spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and the man regained his sight, but it was blurry. He, he saw men in front of him, but they were like trees walking to him. He saw, but he didn't see clearly. And it wasn't until Jesus laid his hands on him again that his vision was fully restored. And that story was recorded not to illustrate some deficiency in Jesus' ability to heal. It's not like he got the formula wrong. Jesus is not the, the LASIK surgeon who needs to do some, some touch-ups because the first surgery didn't go just right. Jesus healed this man in stages for a purpose. And he showed us that sometimes God heals us, but he does it in stages as well. Our understanding of him grows over time. It's a, it's a process. We don't become mature disciples overnight. And the, the healing of that blind man was the, the first slice of bread that Mark prepared for us as he began to put meat on this idea of still needing to learn what it means to be a disciple. Mark shows us in chapters 8 to 10 that Jesus' disciples had begun to see. Peter correctly identified that Jesus was the Christ in chapter 8, verse 29. But these disciples still had blurred vision. Peter also tried to stop Jesus from fulfilling his messianic ministry. And, and the rest of the disciples were still learning as well. They needed to be stripped of their prideful unbelief. They needed to be taught how to depend on God for strength. They, they needed to be told that worldly greatness is not what matters in the kingdom of God. They needed to open their hearts to other followers of Christ who, who weren't doing things exactly the way they were. They needed to have childlike faith. They needed to see that external law-keeping cannot usurp the necessity of God transforming us on, on the inside to want to love Him. They needed to expect that following Jesus meant experiencing suffering and living a life of service. They still needed to see clearly. They needed to understand what it really meant to be a disciple of Christ. But this teaching trip of Jesus is coming to an end. Jerusalem is in sight. And while Jesus will continue to teach and instruct, His focus will shift to the atoning work that He had come to carry out. Our passage today is the final healing miracle that Jesus records, or that Mark records, I should say, before Jesus becomes focused on the cross. And so, before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, Mark needed to finish up his discipleship sandwich. And he does that in the verses before us. And the slice of bread that he puts on top of this whole section is the account of another blind man who was healed. And in this account, we find a model of what discipleship should look like. The, the first healing of the blind man back in chapter 8 was meant to highlight how discipleship is a process. Just like Jesus' disciples, we don't always see everything clearly at first when we follow Jesus. But this second healing in chapter 10 summarizes what it means to be a true disciple. In Bartimaeus, we find an example of someone who followed Jesus the right way. And these two accounts are the perfect way to surround this section. They, they tell us of our need to continue to learn what it means to follow Christ and also what it looks like.
to follow Him faithfully. And so this morning, I want you to notice four characteristics of a true disciple as Jesus grants saving sight to a man named Bartimaeus. These four characteristics should mark those who have truly learned to see Jesus. And the first thing that we see in verses 46 to 48 is that a true disciple should be needy. A true disciple is needy. In verse 46, we read that Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. Jericho was an ancient city, and most of you know it as having been conquered by Joshua back in the Old Testament when the walls came tumbling down. But it had been rebuilt over the years, and it had been rebuilt in a new location not far from the old city. And it was most recently renovated by Herod the Great. And so it was a city still very much in use at the time of Jesus. It was located in an area with extremely fertile soil because of two springs in that region. Uh, Josephus described it as the richest part of the region. It was a little paradise. It was a place where palm trees grew and sycamores grew and all kinds of plants flourished. It was a commercial and military center. It was along the great caravan road from Arabia and Damascus. It was this road that people took as they traveled south from the north. And because of Jericho's proximity to Jerusalem, it was just about 15 to 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Because of its proximity, it was the last stop for many pilgrims who were traveling to the holy city from Galilee. Jesus would stop there, or he stopped there on the way to Jerusalem, because the, the final stretch of that journey was notoriously difficult. It was a, a steep, dry, difficult road to get from Jericho to Jerusalem, because it's a, about a 3,500 feet climb. And just think about walking through the, the grapevine along the I-5. The, the journey to Jerusalem would have been about half as long, but with more than double the elevation gain. And so before that final stretch, pilgrims would stop to rest. This is what Jesus and his disciples did. But eventually they left Jericho to continue on, and they were accompanied by a great crowd. The, the crowd was, or the size of this crowd was undoubtedly due to the Passover pilgrimage, but it was especially great because of the popularity of Jesus. After having some, spent some time alone with his disciples, he was now back in the middle of great crowds. Now, both Matthew and Luke record the, the same event that is before us in our passage. And Matthew writes of Jesus and his disciples leaving, in, leaving Jericho in the same way that Mark does. But in Luke chapter 18, verse 35, Luke writes that Jesus drew near or was approaching Jericho when he met Bartimaeus. So which one was it? Was, was Jesus leaving or was he headed toward Jericho when he met Bartimaeus? Well, some claim that this is an example of inconsistency in the Gospels, but another and possibly better translation of the Greek in Luke 18.35 indicates not so much that Jesus was going toward Jericho, but instead that he was in the vicinity of Jericho. And I just mentioned that in case you ever read the accounts in parallel and, and come across that question. 
There, there doesn't need to be any inconsistency. And so as Jesus was leaving Jericho and, and still in the vicinity of the city, he uh, was approached by a man named Bartimaeus, who was a blind beggar and was sitting by the roadside. And he wasn't out of place there. With all the traffic going in and out of Jericho, the side of the road was a place where those in need would naturally congregate. And Matthew actually tells us in Matthew twenty thirty that Bartimaeus wasn't alone. There was a, another blind man with him who was also healed. But Mark simply focuses us in on Bartimaeus. Now, we don't get a lot of information about this guy other than the fact that he was blind and he was begging. I do imagine, though, what it would have been like for him that day. It probably began like most other days. He woke up and eventually made his way out to the roadside. Maybe he begged for breakfast along the way and then groping or feeling his way along the familiar paths of the city, he eventually found himself a comfortable spot, hoping to receive some kindness from those who would be passing by. And the day probably initially progressed like many others had. A few travelers and, and their animals making their way along the road, some women from the city walking by, maybe the giggles of, of children following close behind, the familiar sound of sandal after sandal hitting the packed dirt on the road, punctuating by the, the creaking of cart wheels rolling along the way. That was all probably like white noise to Bartimaeus. But eventually the noise level increased. And Bartimaeus could sense a crowd beginning to make its way out of Jericho to Jerusalem. Perhaps they were even singing some of the psalms of a ascent that pilgrims would sing on the way. But, but there was something different today. A different buzz, a, a different chatter. And eventually Bartimaeus may have picked up pieces of the conversations that were occurring at, at a distance Yes, Jesus is, is just behind us. Can't believe he's headed to Jerusalem right now. wonder what he's going to do there. D did you hear that some have been saying that he raised a man from the dead in Bethany? And as Bartimaeus listened and, and he heard what, all that was happening around him, Luke actually tells us that he inquired what this meant. And, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth. Was passing by. And now the wheels in his brain began to turn. And he made the connection. This, this is the Jesus that I've heard others speak about recently. Not only, not, not any Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one who has been healing others. This is the one who some have said is a prophet. This is the one who is in the line of David. And as the, the crowd continued to stream by him, Bartimaeus realized that he had to act now before it's too late. Suddenly, his morning goal of collecting some alms was replaced completely by an all-consuming desire to experience the mercy of Jesus himself. And in verse 47, we, we read that he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The, the verb to cry out in verse 47 is in the present tense. That means he was doing this repeatedly. He was shouting out to Jesus repeatedly. He was a desperate man. What made him so desperate? What made him cry out like that? 
But we see that the heart of his cry was for Jesus to have mercy on him. Mercy is asking someone to show compassion. It involves recognizing your need before someone. And as a blind beggar, Bartimaeus understood very clearly that he was a needy man. He needed sight. He was helpless without it. No glasses, no contacts, no vision corrector and surgery options for him. There was not a state-sponsored welfare program for him. His only hope on a day-to-day basis was in the fickle kindness of fellow humanity. He was a man who understood how needy he was, how dependent he was. And so out of that need, he cried out over and over to Jesus. It's our need that causes us to call out to Jesus. Do you recognize that you need help? Do you recognize that you have a need greater than blindness? There's a poem written by an old poet named Harry Kempt that he wrote in London before World War I. He had just been on a drinking spree when he saw a blind man with a cane walking down the street below his studio on a spring day. And he wrote this. The spring blew trumpets of color, her green song in my brain. I heard a blind man groping, tap, tap, with his cane. I pitied him his blindness, but can I boast I see? Perhaps there stands a spirit nearby who pities me. A spirit who sees me tapping, the five-sensed cane of mind, amid such unguessed glory that I am worse than blind. Kemp wasn't a, a model man. He was a poet who struggled with alcohol and dealt with various scandals during his life. But in this poem, he, he captured a truth that we all need to understand. We may not be physically blind. We're actually all far worse than that. Jesus himself echoed this idea to the church of Laodicea in Revelation. And that was a church that probably wasn't made up of people too different than our church. And in Revelation 3.17, Jesus wrote this to them, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, this is all of us in our natural state. We're blind. We're deceived by the world. We're, we're duped by Satan. We're deluded by our own flesh. We cannot see things clearly in this world. It is our, our blindness that causes us to look at the stars at night and think more about the age of the universe than the Creator who placed those stars in the sky. It's our blindness that causes generation after generation to think humanistically that we can change the world on our own. It's our blindness that makes us think that through doing good and not harming others, we can right our wrongs and alleviate our karmic debt. It's our blindness that makes us self-dependent. We do not see this world the way that we see it. We, we are born with man-centered vision. We don't see 2020. We just see man, man. It is all about us. And we are surrounded by others who see things the same way, not realizing that, that we are walking with each other straight to hell 
because we have rebelled against the way God wants us to live, and we have failed to see things from His perspective, and we have offended Him deeply. Every one of us is worse than physically blind, because every one of us is born into spiritual blackness. None of us can, can boast that we truly see. Spiritually speaking, we all need corrective lenses. And when you recognize that you really can't see well, it's disorienting. That makes you desperate, which is what Bartimaeus was. It should cause us to call out to Jesus because he is the only cure for our need. Jesus is the only one who can cure our blindness because he has the authority and the ability to do so. When Bartimaeus called out to Jesus, he called him the son of David. Why? Well, he was probably aware of the promise made to King David in 2 Samuel 7, the, the promise that God would lay, raise up from the line of David, offspring who would establish David's kingdom forever. The Jewish expectation was for a Messiah from David's line to come again. And perhaps Bartimaeus had also heard that the Messiah would care for the poor. Isaiah 11.4 says that with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And Psalm 72.2 speaks of how the ideal king would judge the people of Israel or the poor in Israel with justice. And on top of all this, Bartimaeus had likely heard all that Jesus had already done in his ministry on earth. It's hard to dogmatically say that Bartimaeus was calling Jesus the promised Messiah, but it's very possible. By using the term son of David, he shows that at the very least, he believed that Jesus was an instrument of God's healing and deliverance. And notice that he didn't need to see Jesus to believe in him. He was blind. What he had heard was enough. Today, people always want evidences or, or they want personal signs before they believe that Jesus is God. But God has given us plenty of evidence in His Word if we are just willing to believe. Bartimaeus didn't need to see Jesus to have faith in Him. He believed the words of, of others about Jesus. And that wasn't irrational. There were known facts during those days, and he simply believed them. He believed that Jesus was able to have mercy on him. He believed that Jesus could help him. He recognized both his need and Jesus' ability, and that's what made him so desperate to get Jesus' attention. And he was undeterred, even when others tried to silence him. And not only does recognizing our neediness call out, cause us to call out to Jesus, it also makes us immune to those who wish to stop us from doing so. It's our need that helps us to persist in calling out to Jesus. True disciples of Christ recognize their need, and they persist in having it met by Jesus. Look at verse 48. It says that many rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to be silent. The crowd probably didn't want a blind beggar bothering the great Jesus. Maybe they didn't want Jesus to be delayed anymore as he made his way to Jerusalem. But Bartimaeus didn't care. Mark writes that he cried out all the more. He shouted even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me! Bartimaeus was persistent. And 
this persistence is something that Mark emphasizes in his gospel. The friends of the paralyzed man were persistent as they removed a roof to get their friend in front of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. The woman in chapter 5 who suffered from a bloody discharge was persistent in moving through the crowd to touch the garment of Jesus. Jairus had to persist through the mockery of others who thought that Jesus couldn't do anything for his daughter. The Syrophoenician mother in chapter 7 was persistent in asking Jesus to help her sick daughter when she was initially rebuffed by Jesus. The, the father of the boy with a demon whom the disciples couldn't cast out had to persist in his faith in Jesus' healing ability in chapter 9. There, there are many people and many circumstances that can threaten to quench your efforts to call upon Jesus. Maybe it's your parents. They don't mind that you go to church, but they don't want you to get too involved. Just be a, a better person. Don't be too fanatic. Your life is generally okay. Don't go overboard with that Christian stuff. Maybe it's your friends. Christians are so conservative. Christianity is so intolerant, they say. Do you really believe that stuff? Maybe it's your own feelings. Intellectually, you understand the gospel message. You have good reason to believe that God exists. You believe that the Bible is His revealed Word, but, but sometimes what the Bible says doesn't align with your feelings. Maybe it's your feelings about relationships. Maybe it's your feelings about inclusivity. Maybe it's your feelings about something else. Maybe it's just the world. It's the articles you read online and the academic journals that you're exposed to or the influencers that you follow. They make you feel like believing in God is something backward and unscientific and foolish. If that's you, let me ask you, will you please persist in calling out to Jesus? Will you shout even louder to Jesus over the opposition of this world or the opposition of others or, or maybe even the doubts in your heart? Will you trust in what you've heard about Jesus and what He promises to do for those who recognize their need before Him? We, we, we are all needy. Whether we call out to Jesus for help really just depends on whether we recognize how blind we actually are. Don't be blinded by your blindness. See your need for Jesus to heal you. The first characteristic of true disciples of Christ is that they are needy. There are three more characteristics, and we'll move through the rest a bit more quickly than the first. The, the second characteristic, or the second mark of a true disciple, is found in verses 49 and 50. We see in these verses that a true disciple is not only needy, but a true disciple is also eager. A true disciple is eager. Bartimaeus must have been shouting quite loudly, because over the hubbub of the great crowd, Jesus heard him. And in verse 49, Mark writes that Jesus stopped and said, call him. This is the, the compassion of Jesus on display again. He, he wasn't too busy to be bothered. He wasn't so fixed on his schedule for the day that he couldn't make an adjustment. He had enough margin in his life to allow others to interrupt it. I think of all the times that I've driven by or, or walked by someone in need because I'm I headed, but, but I haven't stopped because I'm headed somewhere for an appointment or, you know, because I feel like I've got to get something done by a certain time. And I usually think to myself, 
hopefully someone else will, will help that person out. I know we, we cannot meet every need that is out there. That's not realistic. We, we aren't Jesus. But we can try to follow his example. We can be better at allowing ourselves to be bothered by others, at initiating that conversation with someone who wants to talk, at responding to a request for help with a move or a project, at, at welcoming a, a child in need into our home, at, at helping someone with a disability feel included and part of our church. Are you willing to, to look up from your phone and start a conversation with someone around you? Are you willing to help someone even though it will keep you from doing something else that you want to do? Are, are you willing to reach those who you are less comfortable around? Jesus stopped and said, call him. And Mark writes, they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. The, the crowd changed its tone. Hey, stop shouting, stop shouting, it's okay. It's okay now, Jesus wants you to go to him. This was probably studying for Bartimaeus. With every additional cry, maybe his hope was, was starting to diminish. But now it was renewed. He heard me. Jesus heard me. And so what did he do? He threw off his cloak, and he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. And, and I just love the exuberance of this verse. This is a response that, that you can't fake. Remember, this guy is blind. And normally when you see blind people walking around, they aren't going fast. They're careful. They're methodical. But even though all that Bartimaeus could still see was darkness at this point, he had hope. And so he threw off his cloak, one of the most important possessions he probably owned. And, and in that, the, that moment, it didn't matter to him. It's just like he ban abandoned his phone. He didn't care if someone else grabbed it. This was much more important. And he sprang up, and he went to Jesus. Those who are saved by Jesus are eager to come to him when he calls. When Christ is calling you and you are ready to receive him, you should be willing and eager. It's not, okay, I think I want to follow Jesus. It's not, I, I've been coming to church for a while, so I, I figure I should believe. That might be part of your journey to faith, but that can't be the end. True disciples of Jesus are eager to come to him because they realize how much they need Jesus and, and how much he can do for them. We should be eager to respond to the call of Jesus if we are true disciples. Now, what, if you do if, what do you do if you don't feel that way right now? I would submit to you that you probably don't recognize your need. You probably think you're okay on your own. You've become self-sufficient. Our faith won't be exuberant faith when, when we don't feel like we really need Christ. And this happens when we go through the day without prayer. It happens when we ignore God's Word for the week. It happens when we push the church to the edges of our lives. It happens when we get into the mindset that we just need to grind through a busy period on our own. It happens when we start telling ourselves we're full of grit. When you live this way, you shouldn't expect to feel any eagerness in responding to Jesus because you've essentially told him that you don't need him. Jesus has become to you like 
the stereotypical parent of a teenager. He's there for you, but you don't really want him to be around for too long because in your foolishness, you think you actually don't need him. Bartimaeus understood his need for Jesus, and he eagerly responded to his call. We need to be eager as well. A a true disciple is needy, a true disciple is eager, and a true disciple has faith. That's the third characteristic we see in this text. Uh, A true disciple has faith. When Bartimaeus reached Jesus, we read in verse 51 that Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. The ball is in your court, Bartimaeus. And this is so kind of Jesus. He doesn't treat Bartimaeus as a problem to be dealt with. He doesn't just view him as a blind beggar looking for a handout. He treats him as a person. He gives him an opportunity to prove his faith. Jesus wants us to tell him what we need. He wants to help us. There's a sense in which Jesus is asking us all right now, what do you want me to do for you? That's the same question he had asked James and John in our passage last week in verse 36. But Bartimaeus gave a much different answer. They wanted glory and honor. He just wanted to see. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Let me see, Jesus. That's all Bartimaeus wanted. He wanted sight. He wasn't like the Pharisees who wanted to to test and to trap Jesus. He wasn't like the rich young ruler who wanted Jesus just to bless his rich moral lifestyle and give him eternal life as well. He, He wasn't like the sons of Zebedee who wanted special seats of honor. He simply wanted to be made whole, to see. And he trusted that God could give it to him or that Jesus could give it to him. Because this was in line with the will of God. God does not come to our aid when we ask for things. He never promises to provide. But He promises to answer us when we ask of Him according to His will. And He was willing to answer Bartimaeus' request. He was willing because He is willing to give sight to all who ask Him for it. And in verse 52, we read that Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus' faith was real. It was his faith that made him well. And that's the way that it works with God. It's not what we do like the rich young ruler. It's whether we trust in God to do what only he is able to do to save us. Grace is when God offers out his divine hand and calls us to take hold of it. Faith is when we extend our human hand to receive it. It was the grace of God and the faith of Bartimaeus that brought about his healing. And those words made well in verse 52 come from the Greek word sozo. Sozo sozo can refer to physical or spiritual healing. And here I think Mark was using that word to say both things. Bartimaeus was not only physically healed, but he was made whole spiritually. Why? Because he simply trusted in Jesus. He had faith in him. A true disciple is needy and eager and full of faith. But we see one more characteristic at the end of verse 52. A true disciple is committed. A true disciple is committed. Jesus told Bartimaeus that he had been made well, and he said, Go your way. 
Jesus gave Bartimaeus permission to do as he pleased. He recognized that this faith of his was genuine. So he healed him and he gave him permission to go on. But how did Bartimaeus respond? Look with me at the end of verse 52. Mark tells us there that he followed him on the way. He didn't go his own way. He went on the way with Jesus. He was willing to leave any connections that he had to Jericho behind. He was going to follow Jesus into unfamiliar territory. Unlike the rich young ruler who went away from Jesus, Bartimaeus went after him. He was grateful for what Jesus had done, and out of gratitude and loyalty, he followed him. That vision of Jesus when Bartimaeus was first healed must have been glorious. To open your eyes and have the first thing you see be the very Son of God, the perfect man in flesh in front of you must have been an unforgettable memory for Bartimaeus. From out of his own darkness, he was able to see his Savior face to face in the light. We all see now in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see face to face and, and it will be the most glorious of sights. Our daughter, Caitlin, has been talking frequently about heaven recently. And the conversations that we have been having with her have been so sweet. And we'll ask her, what do you look forward to most when you get to heaven? And she'll say, Jesus. And then she'll say, juice. Lots and lots of juice. I think there will be plenty of juice for the future. The greatest thing that we will see in heaven is Jesus. When we cross the river that is the end of this life and we throw off the garment of corruption that we all still wear and when our mortality is swallowed up by immortality and we get out of that river and, and we open our eyes to behold the celestial city, the sight of Jesus will be enough for us. It will make us realize that following him on the road where he led was never a sacrifice. It was always worth it to follow in his steps instead of going our own way. True disciples aren't characterized by one-time decisions for Christ. They're, they're marked by a daily willingness to commit their lives to him. Bartimaeus was willing to say goodbye to his old life and say hello to new life in Christ. This is repentance. This is what happens when we are needy and, and eager and trusting and we experience the saving power of Christ. In gratitude, we turn away from our old lives and commit to following Jesus wholeheartedly. Are you still following Jesus right now? Now, what's your commitment level like? How would you rate your gratitude for what Jesus has done for you? Some, some of you may need to recalibrate that commitment. You were following Jesus, but you started to go on your own way again. Remember what he has done for you and follow him once more. Pray, Lord, help me to be committed to following you again as I log in for work tomorrow. Help me to work excellently so that I might adore in the gospel of Christ and not just get to the next milestone or get a bigger bonus. Help me, help me to conduct myself so that others know that my allegiance is to you above all else. Pray, pray, help, Lord, help me to love my spouse again as Christ loved the church. Help me to sacrifice for her. 
Pray, Lord, help, help me to raise my children to love Jesus well. Don't let me get stressed about summer plans and, and camps and all the things that they need to improve on. Help me to remember that they need me most of all to show them that following Jesus is full of joy and is sweet and is full of peace. Pray, Lord, give me a spring in my step as I finish the school year or this rotation. Help me to remember the joy that I have in you no matter what happens this week. Pray, Lord, as I encounter this trial, glorify yourself in my life. Help me to trust in your sovereign plan. It is not too late to follow Jesus like Bartimaeus. And it's worth it. Imagine all that Bartimaeus saw as he followed his Savior from Jericho to Jerusalem. He had been blind and in darkness so long. But he was given the opportunity to see the Messiah riding triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was given the opportunity to see Jesus deal wisely with the challenges of the religious elite. He was given the opportunity to see Jesus unjustly convicted and to see him killed on the cross for us. And he may have even been given the opportunity to see Jesus in resurrection glory. I believe that Bartimaeus didn't just follow Jesus into Jerusalem. I believe that he followed him faithfully for the rest of his life. And this is because Bartimaeus is the only name recorded of any person who was healed by Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the only person to be healed and to have his or her name recorded for us in the Scriptures is Bartimaeus. And my inclination is to think that it's because he was known to Mark's readers. They knew of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He had been faithful. He was indeed a true disciple. And so Mark holds him up as an example here. This is what Jesus had come to produce. True disciples. He came to open the eyes of the blind, but also to give his life as a ransom so that many would follow him. Cry out to Jesus like Bartimaeus if you've never done so before. Pray to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Give me sight. Helen Keller once said, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Don't be someone who has two good eyes and sees nothing. All of us need saving sight. Bartimaeus saw Jesus with his heart, and Jesus allowed him to see him as well with his eyes. He took advantage of the unique opportunity to call out to Jesus when he could, because Jesus never again passed through Jericho. This was Bartimaeus' last chance to see his Savior. And you never know when your last chance will be. Throw off your coat, spring to your feet, cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, and receive saving sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, 
to this earth and that we might, so that we might be able to see. And Father, thank you for allowing us to move from darkness to light and to behold the glories of your Son and to look forward to all that we will see in the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, Father, help us not to be blinded by this world. Help us not to be deceived. Restore our eagerness to follow you because we recognize our need. Help us to be committed to follow you and not to go our own way. And Father, for those who have never truly seen Jesus, help them to cry out to you today. Have mercy on them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.